Thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Motley Fool Money. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com fool or text fool to 500-500. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, from Hidden Gems, Abby Mallon, and from Supernova, David Kretzman. Happy New Year, everybody. Hey! 2018. Here we go. It's our 2018 preview show. We're going to dig into a few stocks to watch, CEOs, and more. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But David Kretzman, let's, let's start by going a little broad. What is an industry you're watching this year, and what is your question about that industry? I'm going with the reefer madness, Chris. I'm talking about <laughs> marijuana. And I, I guess the, the question or questions I have here, uh, first, are legitimate markets forming within the marijuana space? And following up from that, are there legitimate companies emerging that can benefit from those markets? Canada is set to legalize recreational marijuana sometime this year, as possibly as soon as July. They would be the first major country to do so. So that could really legitimize the marijuana space and give companies you know, a legal, legit opportunity to compete. You are seeing some states like California, now that 2018 is here, with, that have legalized recre recreational marijuana, but there is the, the growing question mark with Attorney General Jeff Sessions opening the door for the federal government to intervene in the states that have legalized marijuana to some capacity. So that's why my, my overall question here is there's clearly an opportunity here, potentially multi-billion or tens of billion dollars uh, opportunity here. Uh, but with very few legal legitimate markets, I, I still wonder if... if companies can succeed this year. I would say, Jason, other than Bitcoin, we probably got more questions last year about marijuana stocks than any other industry. David, is it is Canada sort of the first tipping point for you, the legalization in Canada? Yeah, because you already do have a fair amount of marijuana companies in Canada that are bracing for this recreational marijuana push there, because there already is some medicinal marijuana sold in Canada, and obviously in some states in the U.S., but Right now, it looks very overheated. Uh, just looking at four of the bigger uh, uh, cannabis or marijuana companies in Canada right now, combined, their market value is $14.5 billion. Their trailing revenue over the past year is $100 million. So these companies are trading for 145 times <laughs> revenue. And that's just looking at four companies. <laughs> and there are a ton of other startups that aren't even selling anything yet. So there's a lot of excitement here, and I think there will eventually be an opportunity here. But I just wonder if these very early companies are going to be the ones to actually benefit. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually am I'm on board with this. Like, I think legalizing marijuana makes perfect sense for a lot of reasons. I think the big problem early on, though, and investors need to at least keep this in mind, is sort of the the disconnect between the states that want to do it versus the federal government, which is still playing hardball. So, I mean, I, I think eventually that risk goes away as administrations change. So, you know, it's not like you need to jump into this thing head first right now. But I definitely think it's a market worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I think Canada is where you want to look first, because it, if they do legalize it on a national level, that really gives us an idea of how that competitive space shapes up. Abby Mallon, same question for you. What are you watching this year, and what's your big question? Reflecting back on 2017, I think we saw a lot of headlines, death of retail, retail apocalypse, things of that nature. And we've definitely seen a lot of store closings, people, but 
I think something to think about is that people are still buying. So consumers spent almost $20 billion online over the five days between Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday. And this was up more than 15% from last year, according to Adobe Analytics. And I also saw a stat about the purchase of luxury items has quadrupled since 2014, according to Walker Sands Communication. On top of that, we've seen a little bit of M&A activity. So I think something kind of interesting that's been going on, Coach has formally changed their name to Tapestry, and they've sort of transitioned to more of a holding company structure. So they now have um, its Coach, Kate Spade, and Stuart Weitzman all under one conglomerate, sort of more in that LVMH luxury category. And Michael Kors bought Jimmy Choo for shoes. And then I think you've seen a lot of younger companies um, starting up looking for customers in new ways. So one that I've looked at recently was Stitch Fix. They make a box of five products and mail it out to their subscribers, either on demand or on a schedule. And people can pick and choose out of that box what they want to keep. So I think you've seen a lot of changes in this area. And I think aside from just who's going to win, I think whenever you see a big transition like this, it leaves space for, you know, what what are those other opportunities when things one door closes, when another one opens. And I think something really interesting to think about in this regard is sort of what's going to happen to that retail space with all these brick and mortar locations closing and leaving a lot of space behind. So in terms of commercial real estate, should I be optimistic about it for the opportunity that lies ahead with more mall closings? Or is this just an area to stay away from? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. According to PwC, the U.S. has about 23.6 square feet of retail space per person. So that's twice the amount in Australia and about five times the amount in Europe or um, Japan. And I think that definitely seems heavy. It definitely seems bloated, especially as people are moving more to online. But I just, people aren't buying less things. There has to be warehouses or there has to be some sort of means of connecting those dots. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how those physical spaces sort of play out. Jason Moser, same yeah, question. Looking at healthcare and specifically telehealth, I mean, I, my question really is, I, I wonder if 2018, will this mark the year where telehealth really starts to get buy-in from the consumer, and particularly the aging population? And when I say aging, Chris, I'm not talking about you and me, okay? I'm talking about <laughs> our parents. I mean, we are aging. Yeah, we are, but we're not quite there yet. I think you and I have probably bought into this concept. And I mean, there will be regulatory hurdles to clear uh, they are clearing them now, uh, but I, I think we are starting to open our minds to this sort of evolution in healthcare. As as we have a shortage of doctors, uh, we're figuring out new ways to sort of scale healthcare and add efficiencies to a system in dire need of it. Um, and so we we've talked a lot about Teladoc on this show over the past couple of years, and I think that's one company that's going to continue to benefit. But the the market here, according to Ives World Research, is projected to hit about three and a half billion dollars in revenue by 2020 versus around 750 million today. So it's a big opportunity and I think really the question just sort of centers around getting the buy-in from the consumer. I think this is year where it happens. David, the market's been on such a great run for so long and investors out there are certainly forgiven for thinking that it's it's no longer an opportunity to find upside, but we know that there's always upside out there in the market. Where should investors be looking, whether it's in terms of an industry or an individual stock, if they're looking for upside in 2018? One company that I'm going to be watching closely this year is Disney, a little hidden gem you might have heard of. <laughs> uh, this is really the beginning of the company's big push into direct-to-consumer streaming platforms. They're going to launch their standalone ESPN Plus app, so really add-on 
content from ESPN that you don't get on the linear ESPN stations today. And I think this will be interesting because obviously they're, they're looking to acquire 21st Century Fox, making a bigger push into their own original content for a standalone Disney streaming service launching in 2019. So I think this year we'll get a preview of how, how the company can stack up against Netflix when it comes to the user experience with the streaming platform, considering that Netflix has a 10-plus year head start fine-tuning a streaming platform for users. So Disney certainly has a lot of strong content, but they need to prove that they have the, uh, the wherewithal um, to, to put together a compelling and user-friendly uh, streaming platform. But looking at over the past couple of years, the, the stock has really treaded water. It's still tr today trading lower than it did at different points in 2015. Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's been, yeah, it hasn't been a fun road as a shareholder the past couple of years. Uh, but trading for less than 20 times earnings, I think if they can crack that nut with uh, the, the streaming platform this year with ESPN, then I think the market w could uh, give that a higher multiple. I think the stock could do well. Jason, what about you? Uh, well, you know, I'm a big fan of the payment space. I think that uh, the war on cash is real, and I think that PayPal is a company that's going to continue to benefit from this uh, space for many, many years to come. It's a wonderful repeat, high-margin business. Uh, big tailwinds just in the, the, the move towards electronic payments, mobile, um, on a global scale. And uh, to me, there was one catalyst over, over the, towards the end of the year that I think uh, will, will help this company out, that synchrony deal, uh, where essentially PayPal unloaded a credit portfolio off of its balance sheet and, and sold it to Synchrony. And, and this is going to free up a lot of cash flow for PayPal to invest more in the business and products and figuring out new ways to bring that offering to consumers. So, the stock today trades around 30 times free cash flow, but I think we also have to pay attention to the fact that their cash flow number is going to uh, see, see a little bit of a boost here in the coming years because of the deal. And uh, it, it's a $90 billion company, a strong business, profitable, makes a lot of cash over the course of a year. Um, so, it, it's, it's just a, a wonderful trend, I think, in, in electric payments, electric payments and uh, and PayPal is certainly uh, one of the biggest players in the space. Easily one of my favorite business quotes of 2017 was the Visa executive who came out and said, we, we are at war with cash. <laughs> well, I just want to remind listeners, when we use that phrase, that's not from us. That's a Visa executive saying, let me be very clear, we're looking to take cash out. Well, and we capitalized on that, right? I mean, the war on cash basket. We talked about it on Market Foolery in the middle of the year, and we put together that basket of stocks with Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, and Square. A very nice little uh, uh, risk spectrum there, so to speak, of, of companies that are all playing into this trend. And, and at the end of the year, the portfolio, that, that basket of stocks outperformed the market handily. And I think it's set up to keep doing the same thing uh, this year and in years to come. Abby Mallon, what should investors look to for upside in 2018? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it well when you said, you know, the market's just been on a tear. And as an analyst on a small cap service, it's been definitely getting harder and harder. And so I think one place to look for opportunity is anywhere that there's a lot of volatility. So um, something that I've recently started looking at more is recent IPOs. Just because when things have less clarity, I think that there's um, more room for opportunity and in that space. So, um, just as an example, I started following Grubhub back when it went public in 2014. And I've always kind of liked this idea. I like the mission of the company to deliver food. I think it's exactly where our sort of society is going. And, um, but I think when it first went public, people really weren't sure about whether or not this would work or how these competitive factors would lay out. And just, um, Looking back, two years after the IPO, Grub was down more than 28% from its IPO price, but the S&P had climbed 11%. And it really wasn't until March of 
2017 when the market started to really accept this. And since then, it's been sort of up and up with everything else. But Coming up, reckless predictions and a few stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Hey, before we get back to the show, just want to say thanks again to Audible for supporting this week's Motley Fool Money. For our dozens of listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. If you want to listen to it, good news, Audible has it. Just go to audible.com fool or text the word fool to 500-500 and you can browse their unmatched selection of audio content. Download a free title and start listening. It's just that easy. Audible also has exclusives and original audio shows. I recently started listening to John Hodgman's latest book, Vacation Land, True Stories from Painful Beaches, about Hodgman's time in my home state of Maine. I love it. Audible also has the Send This Book feature, so you can share a book from your library with anyone, and if it's their first time accepting a book through this feature, they can listen for free. They also have speed control, so you can listen faster or slower. Listen at the speed that suits you. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial at audible.com fool or text fool to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash F-O-O-L or text the word fool to 500-500. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Abby Mallon, and David Kretzman. Time to get to some reckless predictions. We're not going to make conventional ones. We're going to make <laughs> reckless predictions. And uh, Jason, I was reminded by our producer, Matt Greer, before uh, we started taping, your reckless prediction a year ago this time, you were, you were in the ballpark because your reckless prediction was Starbucks buying Panera Bread. Yeah, I forgot about that. I guess I should... Uh... Take at least half of a victory lap. Sure. I mean, Panera Bread uh, is no longer a standalone public company. It so, yeah, not. we'll give you partial credit it for is that. It's not. Hey, I'll take it. Listen, I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> Nicely done. What's your reckless prediction for 2018? It can be about business, but it can be about anything else. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's it's kind of in line with last year's, I guess, but I didn't, I didn't craft it this way. But I am going to call this, I think Chipotle Mexican Grill ends up going private after all is said and done. I know they're currently looking for a CEO, but. I mean, we've gotten to the point where like you can eat at a Chipotle and then like fart and then report it on a <laughs> website that you got food poisoning and then you can materially move the stock. And I mean, this has been two years since they had this problem, and Steve Elts clearly was not up for fixing it. And so now you've got this this company where no matter what they do, they can't seem to do anything right, even if they do something right. And you've got no ownership in the company with with the founder, uh, no real inside ownership to speak of, and you've got a. Ten percent or so position from uh, Bill Ackman and Pershing Capitals. So I, I just I feel like this is a prime opportunity to try to uh, peak some equity interest in this uh, in this company. And and honestly, I think it's probably the better bet. I don't I don't know that a new CEO can really turn this thing around fully. But I think at least if they go private, it gets them out of that public market spotlight and it lets them sort of make some better decisions. And maybe they take a page out of sort of that Panera playbook and. Uh, get things turned around here in 2018. I guess we'll see. Yeah, for anyone who thought activist investor Bill Ackman and his team were going to really help out, that that didn't work out. No. David Kretzman, your reckless prediction. Kind of along similar lines of Jason, although I won't be quite as vulgar. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I I look at Target, and I, I see the company getting squeezed on both sides from Amazon and then Walmart. And I think 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if this year they try to acquire Wayfair because Target has actually been pushing more and more into furniture on their own. And I think going after Wayfair could be a way that they really start to differentiate themselves both in terms of e-commerce and just the breadth of their offerings compared to Amazon and Walmart. And they could pull it off. They're still producing about $4.5 billion in free cash flow a year. Wayfair right now valued at about $7 billion. So if they wanted to, I think they could do it. And I think they'll get increasingly desperate just as they struggle to compete with these bigger players. Boy, that'd be fun. I mean, Amazon being Amazon, we had Walmart buying Jet. I would love to see Target buy Wayfair just for the optics of it. Absolutely. It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. Abby Mallon, what do you got for a reckless prediction? Yeah, I think mine's you know right along the same path as David there to try and compete with Amazon. I would like to see eBay buy Etsy. Nice. Ooh. Isn't there a lot of Etsy stuff on eBay right now? And by Etsy stuff, I mean sort of arts and crafts. Yeah, there said, is. said the old man in the room. <laughs> there is. I think part of that is that it's just sort of an obvious pair. I think they could help each other out, both in Etsy's looking to expand more internationally. I think eBay could help them there. And then they're both sort of in that search functionality, machine learning, things like that. So I think that could be a interesting pair. Let's bring in our man Steve Broido behind the glass, because we're going to get to radar stocks in a second. But Steve, three reckless predictions. You got one you want to bet on there? I'm betting that the market will not continue to rise 1% every day for the rest of this year. (laughs) It seems like this market cannot go down, and uh, I'm betting that trend will not continue every day. Fair enough. All right, let's get the stocks on our radar. Jason Moser, you're up first. What are you looking at? Yeah, this week I was talking uh, with my guy Rory in Ireland, uh, works with Rubicoin. We were talking about Calivo Growers, CVGW, uh, and they are one of the leading distributors of avocados. And in this age of avocado toast, Chris, I mean, everybody loves avocados. Uh, Chances are, if you buy an avocado from the store, it is coming from these guys. No one likes it when we hear of the shortage of avocados. And and to me, it's a profitable business. They're cash flow positive. Uh, It's a little small cap. I don't know if it's on y'all's radar in Hidden Gems Abbey, but uh, we should probably talk about it some more. Steve, question about Calavo Growers? Is guacamole overrated or underrated? Oh, you can never get enough guacamole, Broido. I mean, it is so underrated. And the beauty of it is, in, in my house, I really am the only one that genuinely loves it, so I get it all. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Abby Mallon, what do you got? Yeah, I think right in time with New Year's resolutions and being healthier and active. Stock I'm thinking about on my radar this week is MindBody, ticker MB. Um, so they are a business software built specifically for that health and wellness market. So things like spas, fitness studios, yoga studios, massages, haircuts, all of the above. And they help their clients manage logistics, including consumer-facing things like websites and apps and appointment scheduling to back-end tasks like payment processing and arranging staff schedules. Steve, question about MindBody? It seems like the first quarter of any year is always very critical for health companies. Uh, with the cold weather, are there is there risk there? Um, I don't think so. I think part of their mission especially is that fitness is um, a habit and routine. And I think hopefully, you know, while you see a new influx of people right at the new year, I hope that builds habits. David Kretzman, what do you got on your radar? I'm looking at Alarm.com, ticker A-L-R-M. This is a company that was founded about 15 years ago, focused on home security systems. But they're increasingly becoming the platform for connected devices. So whether it's a connected doorbell, video, camera, thermostat, things like that. They already serve uh, over 5 million subscribers in the U.S. They sell through over 7,000 service providers. Increasingly a subscription-based business with high retention rates. I think there's a lot to like. 
Steve, question about Alarm.com. What percentage of companies like Alarm.com have customers that never use the products? Uh, I mean, it's like I subscribe to Alarm.com. I don't. I don't turn the alarm on. It, I'm busy. It's uh, what are you? I, I'm not saying this personally, of course. Uh, <laughs> no, of we're, course. He, we're heavily fortified at my household. Uh, <laughs> but what percentage of the people that use these services just don't use them? I, I don't know the exact percentage, but they are increasingly looking at the data to find what is the optimal uh, engagement to to keep people retained on the platform. Three stocks, Steve. You got one for your watch list? I think I'm going with the health-related Abby Choice. All right. Abby Mallon, David Crespin, Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. Up next, our stock's 2018 preview rolls on. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Look around. These are brown. And the sky is a hazy shade Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher, and from Total Income, Ron Gross. Thanks for being here, guys. Hey, how Chris. you doing, Chris? Uh, let me start with the opening question that I had for the last group that was sitting at this table. Uh, Ron, one industry you're watching in 2018, and what's your question about that industry? Ooh, okay. I'm going to go with industrials. A surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I think things look good for industrials right now. Um, the global economy relatively strong. I think the new tax plan that was just passed will be a nice boost for these folks. Mm -hmm. um, I think an upgrade cycle is in need where people are, have to replace their old equipment. I think if Trump gets an infrastructure bill through on the heels of this tax plan, well, that's gravy for industrials as well. And I also think valuations are not as stretched in that industry as they are, are in some, for example, technology. Uh, in terms of the infrastructure bill, does it, isn't the the lead time for and whenever anyone says industrials, the first company I think of is Caterpillar. Sure, mm, that's so uh, isn't the lead time for a company like Caterpillar in terms of ordering equipment and delivery and all that? Isn't it like years out? It, it's a it's definitely a long lead time, but we've seen a turn in agricultural mining commodities over the last year or so. And in fact, you, you'll see stock prices. If you look at Caterpillar stock price, you see um, that goodness reflected in the stock price. But I think there's still a lot of room to run for infrastructure stocks like Chicago Bridge or Jacobs Engineering. And then yes, the Deers and the Caterpillars. As in well. a lot of cases too, you can lease that equipment on pretty short order. Uh, Ron, are you bullish on energy as well? I'm curious. It, it, do you put that into industrials? Um, I, I do, but it's harder for me to analyze, and I've always shied away from energy because it's more it's even more commoditized than mm -hmm. just industrials. And it's hard for me, traditionally over the years, to get a handle of where we are in the cycle there. Um, so I, I traditionally just stay away. Almost I put it in the same category as I do banks. It's, it's very hard for me as an analyst to analyze those things. Uh, Jeff, what about you? Industry you're watching and question that you have about it. So, you know, Chris, the, the year has changed, but the world hasn't changed, really. And I'm still fascinated, as I think most of us are, by artificial intelligence leading to automation and convenience for consumers and smart homes and smart cars, all those things that are going to unfold, unfold in the coming years. I think you have to be invested in the leaders there. But I'm going to say, for this, gene therapy, immunotherapy... So, that was a lead-in for no reason? It was. No, I like to, I like to have two answers to every oh, okay, question. Great, I, think, I, I think I do today. Gene therapy, immunotherapy, biotech writ large is still... It's changing rapidly, and it's exciting. So, whereas AI and automation may really improve our lives, 
biotechnology may, if it needs to, save your life down the road someday. Uh, but there are so many companies there that are that that are working on it that I'm looking at the Spider S and P Biotech ETF tickers XBI. It's equal weighted. It's uh, average company that it owns is thirteen billion dollar market value, but the median market value is only one point five billion. So this ETF owns a lot of smaller companies like Puma Biotech and Bluebird Bio, and it's a great way to buy 109 biotechs and and just let it be. Yeah, I lo- I love that because um, while of course biotech comes with its own set of risks, the big question I had for for the industrials was geopolitical instability. Which if if something goes wrong, which hey, eventually something's going to go wrong in this every in this, day in this globe we live <laughs> in, um, industrials are going to get smacked around much more than a like a biotech stock would um, as a result of something going on with North Korea or, or what have you, because that's kind of an insulated. It's kind of a a binary. Is this FDA? Um, Program working? Is it not? Is this drug going to work? Is it not? It's not as affected by geopolitical instability. Let me go back to AI for a second because you reminded me, Jeff, when you mentioned the smart home about Google years ago buying Nest. And the assumption by a lot of investors at the time was well, if anyone is going to make the smart home work, it's going to be Google for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is their deep pockets. Are you surprised that? Google, for all of its success, hasn't had more advancement on that front. I'm a bit surprised, but I guess not too surprised because Google is not a consumer products uh, giant, or they didn't have the, the the know-how in the space by the time they bought Nest. At the time they bought Nest, and I think it's early. It's still early. There's what most people are waiting on, from what I read and my own personal experience, is that category killer that makes a smart home suddenly work across the board. Right now, you have to piece it together bit by bit. And uh, it, it pays to just wait because the technology is advancing so quickly. So I think they were early. Let's talk CEOs. Uh, who is the CEO to watch this year? And it can be because that person is on the hot seat or because uh, they're just at an interesting place in an interesting time, Ron. This guy needs a win bad, and, and, and I, he's just not going to get it, unfortunately. And that's Eddie Lampert of Sears, uh, both the largest shareholder and the CEO. Um, in my opinion, he has destroyed shareholder value at this company. Shares are down 90% over the last five years. Revenues and profits have been decimated. He has bought back a ton of stock uh, for the company over the years, but he did not invest in stores. He did not invest in e-commerce. He's basically been selling off assets such as real estate to try to keep this thing afloat. Balance sheet remains a mess. They keep announcing store closures. Bruce Berkowitz, famed value investor, has announced his retirement from the board. I hold out little hope for Sears, and I don't think Eddie Lampert is going to be able to turn this. What about you, Jeff? Well, all these men are having trouble at, at GE, IBM, Ford, Under Armour, all male CEOs who need to get it right. But even Spiegel at Snap needs to have a good year. GE and IBM and Ford, they all have time. Under Armour has time as well. Snap arguably may not have that much more time. It's falling off the radar in a lot of cases. Even the very young people I speak with do not view you speak Snap. speak with young people? Yeah, we have some friends who are <laughs> 20s and wow. late teens. We're at that age now where kids are that age. Yeah, you, you are too, Ron. Uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, the children I speak with, <laughs> who may be my own children, uh, anyway, Snap is not as important to them. Instagram has taken over, um, and Facebook has still shown staying power. Yet, Snap has a $17.5 billion market cap. Chris on revenue last year of 700 million, which indeed is up from 400 million the year before. So revenue jumped nicely, but their operating loss is 
it's 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 epic. Three point two billion dollar operating loss, and that's one point three billion spent on R and D, and one point nine billion spent on SGNA wow. Sales General Admit. Only eighty three million spent on capex. Eighty three million, a tiny amount on capex. So I don't know what they're building here because all their spending is just evaporating. Uh, the company is extremely uh, uh, unprofitable and doesn't have a path to get to profitability. So he needs to turn that around. Do you think someone buys Snap? or Because Facebook would be a logical buyer, except for the fact that they have Instagram, which is so popular. Exactly. Facebook has copied Snap in so many ways, they don't need to buy them. And uh, when a company is struggling this much, as Twitter has in the past, why step in and buy it? So you mentioned General Electric a moment ago. I think John Flannery, uh, Flannery the new CEO there, I think he's going to be fun to watch this year. And mm-hmm. I don't own shares of that stock, but he was CEO for about an hour and a half where he just started <laughs> yeah. making big, sweeping changes yep. at GE. And he's got a low bar to, to hurdle, but that's a big job. Yeah, he's only going to focus on three industries, healthcare, industrials. Let's move over to stocks, uh, which have had such a great run for so long, and for therefore run for one reason or another. <laughs> some of these stocks out there have got to be on a short leash. When you look at the world of stocks, what do you see? And it could be in your own portfolio that you think, I- I'm not giving this thing any <laughs> leash at all. Well, this isn't in my own portfolio, but Wells Fargo is is on a short leash for me, and I think it's a shame because what is good for Warren Buffett is usually good enough for me. And interestingly, Buffett, who owns about 9% of the company, has recently come out and he said, Tim Sloan, the new CEO, has my faith. So Buffett is sticking with this company. Um, who has you know, which has had you know such a really bad eighteen months in terms of you know wrongdoings and lawsuits and fake accounts and mortgage problems and they they've really um, done a terrible job to uh, destroy their their brand, which was 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 really a favorable one at one point. Um, so I think the culture is is so negative and it's so pervasive throughout the culture that I'm not sure the CEO is really going to be able to turn that. And as a result, I wouldn't. Really Really want to be part of that ride with them, even if even if Mr. Buffett is sticking with it. Yeah, it's amazing because a lot of us at the Fools sold our shares. We just couldn't see a path to owning them if we don't trust management. And so let's get out. There are better things to buy. I think for us that was the right choice, and we did buy things that have done better. But I'm fascinated by Buffett sticking with it when integrity is so key to him. Yeah, I was just thinking about how we're what four months or so away from the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, maybe a little bit longer than that, but. I have to believe that a lot of the questions at that meeting are going to be specifically about this because it's been such a big holding for so long. Yeah, for sure. Um, he actually, I think he did sell some stock recently, but that was only so he wouldn't go above ten percent. So for really for technical reasons there, but he he has faith in the new guy, and I think that's fair. The new guy theoretically isn't you know responsible for for the the sins of the old, but this is going to be a tough one. Wasn't he around though? For the he sins? was around, so you you never know how deep it goes. Jeff, what do you have on a short leash? So you try to only own stocks that you of course want to own for years and years, and even when they hit some turbulence, you you're confident enough to let them go. But a large company that so many people own, and it's a large holding for so many of us that I want to keep a, a close eye on, is Apple. Ooh. And the reason it's such an incredibly large business to keep afloat, and it's so reliant on the iPhone that if Apple does something to harm their iPhone brand or space in the world... You mean something battery-related? Well, it could be that. It could be <laughs> software-related. Yes, uh, very timely topic. Uh, 
it would be very hard, if not impossible, to replace that lost revenue if the iPhone starts to go into decline. So that's why you have to keep a close eye on what they're doing. Now, that doesn't mean every quarter matters. Like iPhone sales do fluctuate and they dip. That doesn't mean you have to run for the hills. But if they're making the wrong moves, in your opinion, and they're potentially bringing the, the business to a lower level, you've got to really consider what you do with your stock. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Ron, what's a stock that uh, you could fall asleep on? <laughs> I never worry about specialty insurer Markel, which we talk about a lot on, on the show, but I think a lot of investors still are not uh, familiar with Markel, which is often called a baby Berkshire Hathaway. It's such a well-run company, both operationally and culturally. Tom Gaynor, um, co-CEO, a fantastic investor, investor, great steward of investor capital. Stock's up 150% over the last five years, but that is not something I worry about. Um, I think the company can continue to put up great numbers, grow book value year after year, very methodically, conservatively, by investing capital and doing a good job on the insurance side as well. And it's just one I just never worry about. Jeff? I love this question, Chris, because every year I look at everything in my portfolio and, and I ask this very question, am I comfortable enough to keep it on a, a loose leash? And for the most part, that's true. Visa, Oracle, Amazon, Square. And another one in that list is Facebook. They may have a, a disappointing year this year, perhaps, because Zuckerberg and, and company plan to spend a lot to try to get the content under control. Uh, but I'm going to let that happen if it happens and uh, wait it out as long as traffic trends remain steady, as long as people keep visiting the site, ideally traffic goes up, then I'm just going to let Facebook go and, and see what's ahead in, in the years to come. The stock trades at 29 times forward estimates for next year, so it's not unreasonable. Coming up, if you didn't get everything you wanted this past holiday season, we have got just what you're looking for. Details next. This is Motley Fool Money. Beneath this snowy mantle, cold and clean, the unborn grass lies waiting for its cold to turn to green. The snowbird sings a song he always sings. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Ron Gross and Jeff Fisher. Before we get to reckless predictions and stocks on our radar, I'm happy to announce uh, something that, frankly, Ron, listeners have been asking for this for a while, and it is the unveiling of our brand new Motley Fool podcast shop, which you can find at shop. .fool.com. We've got podcast t-shirts, ball caps, coffee mugs, which I hold in my hand right now, which always makes for good awesome. radio. Uh, and in the spirit of Warren Buffett, uh, good stuff at a good price. I love it. I mean, not just listeners, I've been wanting some swag myself, and we can never get enough around here. Well, you know what you can do? You can go to shop.fool.com. You betcha. <laughs> click the buy button. It does have fun stuff, and it's cheap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ten bucks for a coffee Inexpensive. Money? It's not yeah. cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. high quality. <laughs> what a salesman Jeff is. <laughs> All right. Let's get to uh, reckless predictions for 2018. It can be about business. I should point out that on last year's show, um, you made a prediction, Ron, S&P 500 up 15%. You were in the ballpark. Not too shabby. It was nice. up around 20%. Uh, 
again, in the ballpark. Jeff Fisher, nowhere near the ballpark, <laughs> said 2017, the market will be down. You weren't even in the parking lot of it, the ballpark. It was a reckless prediction. I remember Ron said, I bet plus 15%, and I took the opposite. I'll, I'll say it'll fall 15%. It felt reckless at the time, yeah, it and was. it was. You also bet a dollar on it. Have you paid up? <laughs> oh, no, I haven't. I do have a dollar. Buy me a mug. Ron, what do you got? <laughs> Uh, let me take you back, Chris, to a simpler time, 1998, where McDonald's made an investment in Chipotle. And I know Chipotle was discussed earlier uh, by Jason. Uh, by 2005, McDonald's had a 90% stake in Chipotle. And in 2006, Chipotle went public. And later that year, McDonald's completely divested itself of that company. So my prediction is that now that McDonald's has successfully turned its business, it will now look for a new distraction, a new way to destroy shareholder value. Uh. Or not, and it will acquire Chipotle mm. this year. It will be announced. You know what? If Steve Easterbrook became not just the CEO of McDonald's, but the CEO of Chipotle too, I know a lot of investors, including yeah. myself, who would be interested in that. You gotcha. Jeff, what do you got for a reckless prediction? So I was going to say Amazon buying Target, but that doesn't feel so reckless anymore. That, that news is kind of bouncing yeah. around. Target's a $35 billion company, Amazon's $600 billion. So I'll just say, I think the S&P, which rose about 20%, as you said, Chris, will rise 20% again this year. Ooh. Again, and that's just a reckless prediction. I'm not like, I, I don't make market predictions. No, I'll throw in a, a living, bonus prediction. Mine's 9%, nine, again. 9%, I'm on record as saying. 9%. 9% yeah. So you're, you're like official on I'm that. like an average mean. It's re- return to the, you know, kind of the mean of where, where we've been historically. You guys going to bet another dollar on this, too? Ooh, I don't know. Double or nothing? All right, uh, I'm, sure. I'm in. I'm in. Steve Broido, our man behind the glass, a couple of reckless predictions there. Uh, uh, either of those seem likely to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but how do you really feel, Steve? Uh, all right, let's get to the stocks on our radar, and uh, Steve will hit you with a question. And uh, you know what? We've got a, we've got the time, so if you want to hit him back with a question, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Ron Gross, what's on your radar? I tried to find one that maybe Steve hasn't heard of before. It's C.H. Robinson Worldwide. CHRW is the ticker symbol. They're a a transportation service and logistics company. And what that means is they match customers who need to ship something with a vetted network of transportation providers. They, for example, handle Microsoft's entire logistics network. But they also find transportation for mom-and-pop businesses as well. They're a market leader, yet they only have a 10% share. Uh, They've committed to return 90% of future profits to shareholders through dividends and buybacks. Uh, They have increased their dividend for 19 consecutive years. The stock is up 30% over the last six months, but it's not too late, and we get a dividend yield of 2%. Steve, question about C.H. Robinson Worldwide? Yes. How do all these logistic com- uh, logistics companies work together? So you've got UPS, you've got FedEx, you've got DHL, you've got all the shipping companies, you've got transportation. Aren't they? <laughs> they all have to be communicating together somehow. Yes. Technology, thankfully, is is part is a major part of this business, and then some are truckers, some are uh, brokers that match up. Um, uh, companies with transportation companies, and there's technology that sits right in the middle of that. Do you have a question for Steve you want to hit him back with? Steve, anything uh, fun during the holidays? Uh, I went to North Carolina with my family. We had a good time. It was cold, but we had a good time. Nice. All right, Jeff Fisher, what are you looking at? All right, Appian, ticker is A-P-P-N, is a software company based here in Virginia, $2.4 billion market value. They create software platforms and frameworks for other companies to then put together their own apps and their own programs. So they're making coding software, which is difficult, easier or even easy. Their goal is to make coding software easy. They have $160 million in sales, about uh, 1,000 employees. They're growing at a good clip, good management with a lot of uh, stock 
uh, in the game themselves. And it's a recent Tom Gardner selection a few months ago as well. And the stock is doing extremely well, so you have to be careful with that. But I think it's mainly because at $1 billion a month ago, it was underpriced. Now it's $2.5 billion. So the stock has really taken off. But I think Appian, given what they're doing in the digital space, has a, a, a bright long-term future ahead of it. So one, one to be on your radar. Steve, question about Appian? First, uh, for full disclosure, I just bought some shares of Appian yesterday. Oh, well, uh, you're very, happy today. Very happy today. Uh, but can coding become too simple? Is that possible in this space? I don't think so. I mean, my, my instinct is no. I mean, the easier, the better. If I could make my own website, I would in a second, but I can't. <laughs> Do you have a question for Steve? <laughs> Steve, what's your biggest goal for 2018? Oh, I like that. I need to get in better shape. I'm dying up here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to take advantage of that mind body uh, thing I that very well Abby might. was talking yeah, about I, earlier? I, yeah, I got to get, I just need to get in better shape. All right, we can help you. All right, Jeff Fisher, Ron Gross, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Pool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.